What is up, you wonderful listener? How's it going? I guess you can't really answer. Armand here, back with another episode. Today's guest is pretty awesome. I really enjoyed talking to him. His name is Seth Erickson. He is the founder of Storify Agency and the author of How to Hack Humans. So both of these, the company and the book, are related to storytelling. And that's Seth's big thing. And it was pretty awesome. I enjoyed listening to some of the stories he has to say. Uh, he gave me a really cool story about scuba diving. It was super funny. He is a dive master. Uh, and then we also talked about his hobbies are really sick. He does jujitsu. I mean, the scuba diving thing. He's a, he used to be a rave DJ in the 2000s and his song would get a shit ton of plays. Like, you just gotta listen to this guy. He's full of awesome stories and it was so much fun talking to him. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Play Hard Podcast. Work hard, play hard, work hard. But no, I, I have uh, I, I am Patty certified, but I haven't been since I was like 17. Uh, uh, yeah, that's something I'd, I'd like to get back out there. Yeah, I'm a master rated scuba diver, so I'm one wow. one step down from a dive master. So I'm I'm pretty into it. Get Do you to have to get rescue? I guess we can talk about. Ah, let's just start the show. This is the show. Do you yeah. have to get uh, rescue certified for master yeah. diver? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you got to get rescue certified, and then you have to do you have to do a certain number of specialties. Um, so it's like all kinds of random stuff, like fish identification and being able <laughs> to use a compass underwater for you know to know where you are from the boat yeah. to where you need to be. And um, there's a there's a slew of them, but uh, um, yeah, I think you have to have like I don't know, like I I'm totally probably wrong somebody will like look this up and be like that that's not right but it seems like there's like 10 to 20 that specialties that you need to have included in your um so yeah you go from your basic diving and then i think there's a step up from that and then i think that's when you get to uh rescue diver which is an awesome course like rescue diver is a great course because you like learn all all kinds of things about like cpr and different things like that so you yeah. kind of get a get a crash course in, in almost like a triage, um, type setting. Uh, and then I'm trying to think like, is there another level between, you know, where I'm at and the other one? I can't remember. I like, I was so into diving when I started, I just blew through all that stuff. Like I like in two years did like 150 dives. (laughs) So it was pretty fascinating. I know. So rescue dive, that one you had to do. Uh, like a night rescue. Am I getting that correct? Or did I totally forget? I, I feel like my friends had to do some kind of night dive for their rescue class and they had to do like a, a scenario or something like that. Yeah, that's entirely possible because, um, on, so I, you know, I, we went out on chartered boats and stuff. So we would be like, yeah, yeah let's fly down to Belize and do rescue diving. So you're like on the boat and night dives are, you know, or something you can do every day. Yeah. Um, so oh, that's sweet. Yeah, it might have been something that, you know, one of my instructors was like, oh, we'll just knock off the night dive for you because you've done like five of them this yeah. week. <laughs> yeah, that, that checks out. That's sweet. All right. So for the listener, this is Seth Erickson. He's the founder of Storify Agency and the author of How to Hack Humans. And both are storytelling related, which I'm really excited to get into. Super curious. And Seth comes from high recommendation from a big time friend of the show. Uh, Josh Boone, so I'm pretty excited. This is an episode I've been looking forward to. Yeah, should be fun. <laughs> so, Seth, first of all, uh, I was I was actually listening to some of your background and how you got into the agency and how it transformed into like a storytelling type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to like briefly touch upon your story and your, yeah, your story uh, and how Storify Agency came to be? Yeah, I'll try to I'll try to keep it condensed because I I feel like I've told this story like a thousand yeah. times. Um, Basically, we were, um, and, well, we still are. Um, we were a web design agency that, you know, won a ton of awards, had all the accolades, and yet we, when we would ask our clients, like after we give them a new website or whatever, you know, are we moving the needle in your business? And quite often, like nine out of ten times, the answer was no. Like they were just excited that they had a better website. Yeah. But 
the bounce rate it looks wasn't, good. <laughs> yeah, wasn't better. Conversions weren't increasing. You know, it was just like they were like basically patrons of the arts. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I said there's got to be a better way than this. And um, it was a, a good friend of mine uh, gave me a book called um, "Winning the Story Wars" by Jonas Sachs, and um, he basically was an agency owner. They did a lot of video stuff, but he talked a lot about how story is very compelling for a lot of different reasons. And when I kind of got introduced to that idea, I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Like, why aren't people using more storytelling? And so I started reading a ton of books on the subject. Um, I like to joke that I raised Audible's stock price for like that (laughs) month because like in a year, I I think I purchased like 50 books and read all of them on on (laughs) the topic. And, um, and I just was so fascinated with it also because, you know, like you talk about like hobbies and stuff, like I love going to go see movies and stuff. Although yeah, in the last couple of years, some of the movies have been really terrible because they're not following like the basic formula for telling a good story. Um, so, uh, so because of my interest in movies, I was like, well, I should learn how to do this myself. And then I started learning how to do it. And then we started applying the stuff that I was learning in the business to the clients. And then we started seeing things like open rates going up, bounce rates Hmm. going down, click through rates going like three X, four X sometimes of, you know, what is considered industry standard and said, Holy crap, we've got something here. And so we actually used to go by the name CODIS agency. We rebranded to Storyfy agency because Storyfy is is an actual word. It means to tell or narrate in story. So we felt like, Hey, if we're, <laughs> we do branding, we should probably brand ourselves with something yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, and, uh, so yeah, so we switched over to that and then, um, yeah, we kind of like did that in the middle of the pandemic. So awesome timing on our part there. It's like, Hey, when do you want to launch a new, a new, a new business, a new product, a new service when the world shuts down, that's the best time to do it. <laughs> so, that's so, when most people did it, though. It's kind of like a funny conundrum almost that I've noted. Like so many people that I've talked to started their company during the pandemic. But I guess for you, it was more of like a just a, it was like just a rebrand, a rebirth rebrand. almost. Yeah. 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 So um, and yeah, I mean, like like for a lot of people, like the pandemic was tough. You know, contracts are getting canceled left and right mm-hmm. or people are like, yeah, but not right now. Like. Let's see where we're at in six months. And so, um, it was a really tough time. I mean, I, like, to be honest, like we barely hung on by our fingernails and I think I'm still missing some fingernails, you know? <laughs> like, um, but we did it. And now that the world, uh, at least most of the world seems to be kind of like getting back to the status quo or, um, or somewhat similar to that, you know, new projects are coming in and new opportunities are happening, but, um, but yeah, that was a real, uh, really scary. And, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. So. Yeah. Uh, quick sidebar. Have you read the book story worthy? Uh, by, by Matthew Dix. Matthew Dix. Yes. Um, yeah, actually I love his concept of the pink elephant. So it's the story mm-hmm. that you, you tell that you think is going to go one direction and then he, it totally takes a 180 on you. Um, yeah. I actually used use that method to tell a story that I used to tell, which was a scuba diving story about going on a trip, uh, to Cozumel with a complete stranger who, uh, I thought was a raging alcoholic. And, uh, at the end of it, I actually turned the whole story around and explained why the perspective, the way that I've told the story is actually not what, what it sounds like. Um, which is in, in reality, um, he, uh, he was grappling with, the loss of his wife because of infidelity. Um, Mm. but from my point of view, it was this wild trip I took, uh, on a scuba diving trip. So let me give you the setup. So getting ready to go on my first open water dive, going on a dive trip to Cozumel, get to the, the, the checkout counter. And the lady's like, your flight's been delayed. You need to take another flight or else you're not going to be able to go till tomorrow. And this guy who's standing next to me goes, we'll take it. I'm like, who are you? (laughs) I was like, are you on the dive trip? And he's like, yeah. He's like, if we don't go now, like we'll have to wait till tomorrow. We can get an extra day of diving in. And I'm like, great, let's (laughs) let's do that. So 
I don't know this guy at all. Like we're connected through the dive shop, but I don't, I've never met him before. And he goes, Hey, uh, let's go get some food. I'm like, sure. You know, we got to kill an hour, uh, cause we're taking a different flight now or whatever. Dude orders like six or seven bloody Marys (laughs) does not eat any food. Right. (laughs) Gets on the plane. As soon as, as soon as the plane takes off, he's, he's ordering drinks passes out on the plane as we're getting ready to land. I'm like, crap, I don't speak Spanish. I actually took Japanese in high school. That's a whole separate story. Um, I'm like, do you know, do you know where we need to go? Because the person with the itinerary is coming on a separate flight from us tomorrow. He goes, apply us something or other. Like I literally woke him up from his, you know, yeah. drunken nap. And I'm like, bro, like, I don't know a lot of Spanish, but playa means beach or something like that. And every, sorry, I almost swore. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. You can swear. You can say yeah, I'm like every like. fucking place in Cozumel starts with the word playa. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we're on an Island. It's like, they're just surrounded by, we're beach. surrounded by beach. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, apply something. And I'm like, dude, we're about to land. I was like, do you speak Spanish? And he's like, no. And I was like, I don't speak Spanish. Like I, I know, you know, Banyo Cerveza, <laughs> you know, I got the <laughs> basics down. Yeah. Um, yes, no. Right. But like, he's like, ah, it's fine. We'll figure it out. So we get off the plane and, uh, yeah, it's like 10 o'clock at night. And, um, I was like, crap, we don't know where we're going. I mean, it's an island. So he's like, yeah, we'll just go from hotel to hotel and I'll just ask if, if our party's staying there. And I was like, okay, well, I guess we can do that because we don't have any better options. And, um, you know, this is back before like international calling was like a breeze. So yeah, (laughs) it was like 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and, uh, so he goes, oh, well, before we go, can we get something to eat? And I was like. Yeah. You mean nine more Bloody Marys? Yeah. Dude bought a handle of Jack and a six pack of beer (laughs) and rolled in and out of every hotel holding his his half drunk bottle of Jack rolls up. uh, You know, do you have a reservation for, I can't remember what the party name was. And they're like, no. And so we basically go in and out, in and out, in and out for like an hour. And we finally find the place that has our reservation. Through we get, sheer trial and error. Yeah. We get into the hotel room and, um, like, I'm just like, I'm done. Like, I want to go to bed, you know, like, like it's midnight now and I feel kind of lost and I'm not sure about this guy at all. Right. Like, is he going to murder yeah. me in my sleep? What's, what's his deal? And so they gave us a room and yeah, like he, uh, you know, he and I get situated and turn out the lights and he's like, Hey, do you want a beer? And I'm like, nah, man, I just, just want to go to bed. And so he's sitting there in the dark, you know, popping up <laughs> in his beers. And these things got to be warm by now because we you know, walked around for an hour without refrigeration. And then he proceeds to start telling me like how his wife cheated on him. And I'm like, Holy shit, dude. Like, this is some heavy stuff, right? Like I don't yeah. know you from Adam. And now you're telling me about like how your wife cheated on you and what happened and the whole story. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, dude. Um, and so told that whole story The I used to kind of end it with a joke, but the pink elephant aspect of it was just the reality that like, I, I kept thinking of this guy like a stranger, but to him, I'm a stranger and he's sitting there bearing his soul to me. And, and it was, it was kind of putting the idea together or the realization that like, he's not drinking cause he's a raging alcoholic. He's drinking because he's struggling with that loss in his life yeah. and, that, and that betrayal. Right. And so, um, you know, I like, and, and when I tell the story now, I talk about like my own immaturity of not seeing things for what they were and, and, now that I look at that story 20 years later, I realize that what I thought was just this silly story, actually there was a lot more going on. You know, there was more yeah. happening be- below the surface, but at the time I didn't get that because I was young and 
immature. <laughs> and I bet at that time he just really needed a stranger. Like the people close to you are very close to the situation. He probably just needed someone to talk to and share yeah. 12, 15, 20 drinks with. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And, and here's the crazy thing is, um, after that night, like the next day I figured he was going to be completely blown out, like worthless. Like he was up, he was fine. And he and I went diving <laughs> And then him, him and I went on like another, I don't know, six or seven dive trips after that. Like he's <laughs> actually awesome. been my, like, so when you go diving, you have a dive buddy, right? Like you always want yeah. to pair up with somebody. So he was my dive buddy for years. And, uh, I think we probably, you know, I did 125 or 150 dives. I think I did about a hundred of those with him. Like, so you did become buddies. Yeah. Like he's a great scuba diver. Like he would explain (laughs) everything to you. Like, yeah. So, um, so we, we ended up having a really good friendship on the other side of like this really bizarre (laughs) introduction. (laughs) So, yeah, that's, that's, that's actually hilarious. And, and that, I love that it ended up in an actual friendship. Like you didn't just take that judgment and keep it throughout the course of everything. You were like, no, I want to you know, let's keep hanging out. He's a good diver. Let's keep diving. Yeah. Yeah. And he taught me a ton and, um, yeah. And like, you know, like I said earlier, I think, I think he did a couple of my certifications and stuff on like the, the smaller things like, uh, probably the night dive and, you know, like we talked yeah. about in the, um, navigation course and fish identification and, you know, all the, all the little, little, uh, merit badges that you get along the way. <laughs> yeah. That's so you, and you're also an author, so you you have this company, this agency that you run, but you mm-hmm. also wrote How to Hack Humans. A uh, very first question, more on the business side, because I'm I'm so curious on, on how the actual book writing process was and everything. But first of all, does this book ever funnel people into your business? Like, do you ever get leads based on people who read this and go, "Oh, I really want to work with this guy"? Yeah, um, it, a little bit, not as much as I would like, and I think part of the part of the problem is that I, I give, I give so much stuff away in the book, you know, <laughs> like, oh, like yeah. people read yeah. it and they're like, Oh, he gave me like a template for this thing. And you know, so I was like, Hmm, I, I maybe should have done that a little bit different, but I like teaching people. I like helping people. So to me, it, like I've read so many business books where it was like, you get the concept of what they're talking about, but they're like, but you got to hire me to make sure it works, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I've seen and that. I didn't want to be that guy. So, um, so yeah, I get a, I get a few, uh, inquiries every now and again. Um, but you know, it's not like writing a book. I mean, even though I've won like three awards for the book, it's not like, damn, really? yeah, yeah. Uh, I submitted it for three different awards. I won, uh, one for each one of them. Um, wow, congrats. but, uh, yeah, it's not like it's made my book sell a ton more. It's not like it's brought me more clients. Although, um, it does really act as a, like a kick-ass business card that, you know, it's like, I know the subject. Well, I wrote a book on it. (laughs) Um, so that helps, but I wouldn't say that it, it has moved the needle as much as I was hoping it would. Um, but I enjoy the process and, and I'm probably going to write a second book, um, which will be called, uh, branding for humans. Um, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely check that out. Uh, especially someone who's working on, I don't know if it's more personal branding. That's just kind of my take on what I get from the title, but that's, that's something that I've been looking for. It's just going to be branding in general. Um, Hmm. and I have a, a kind of a way that I explain branding to people that everybody seems to like and make sense. Cause you know, some clients are like, well, it's a logo or it's a, you know, it's like this really involved process and what does it all mean when it's done? And, you know, and then I've even talked to clients who are like, uh, yeah, we have brand guidelines. They're in a desk somewhere. <laughs> like, like they're not really applying, you know, uh, what they learned or the process yes. that they went yes. through, um, yeah. which is unfortunate. So, um, yet common. Yeah. So what I, what I try to explain to them is like, um, brand, like building a brand is like building a person, right? Like you have a friend like, hopefully we all do, um, <laughs> that you really like hanging out with. Right. But they, they act a certain way. They dress a certain way. Um, they have certain values or principles, right? Um, and so, you know, like the way they dress could be like the design, 
right aspect of, of branding. Yes. Um, you know, their core values are, you know, the same core values of whatever your brand is. Right. And so if you start thinking about it, like, you know, if my company was a person, what would that person look like? How would they act? How would they talk? Right. Like, you know, what is their brand archetype? Right. So I explain it in that way. And that seems to help a lot of our customers who talk to us about, about branding, um, because they're confused, right? You go, you Google something on branding and you're going to get 20,000 different explanations of what Very branding true. is. Yeah. So I'm trying to kind of, um, illustrate an idea that is more simple to understand and then kind of break that out and, and, um, and explain it in a way that like makes more sense because it's more tangible, right? Whereas branding oftentimes seems kind of like ethereal, like it's this thing that we need to do and it costs a lot of money, but I'm not sure why we're doing it. And I don't know how to connect all the pieces or um, how to get the results from it. Yeah. So, um, you know, like w- what your brand says, I mean, that's your copywriting, right? Like yeah. how much you like that brand brand affinity, right? <laughs> like, do you like that brand a little, a lot? Do you, you know, care if their name comes up in your feed or are you just like, you know, whatever, like, so all these things kind of fit into it. It's just like, you know, if you, if, if it's one of your good friends and they call, you're like, I'm going to take that call. But if it's somebody that you don't know very well, or your relationship's kind of like, whatever you're like, I'll get back to them later, you know? And that's, yeah. that's how people treat, treat brand, ugh, brands in the same way. So, um, so there's a lot of kind of similes, analogies that I want to kind of pull together and, and make it easier for people to kind of get that core idea of like, what what is a brand? How do you build a brand effectively? And I use that illustration. So, yeah, I like that. And it seems like a big part of branding is number one, being intentional about these aspects. Like what Mm -hmm. are our values? What is our, you know, colors, our font, like down to the specifics. But Mm -hmm. the number two is being consistent with it and actually following through and not just keeping that, you know, binder in your desk. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, um, I, well, and yeah, we've all had friends too that like change their mind all the time. And you're just like, dude, I thought you were going to do X, Y, Z. And they're like, no, I decided I was going to do something else. And then you get these brands that are like, they're changing the logo and their colors all the time, but they're, they're never really sticking with something. So they, you can't really build a relationship with the brand because you're uncertain as to what they're going to do <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. You know, interesting. Yeah. Um, and smaller, it, that's more like a symptom of like smaller companies, not usually bigger companies like, you know. IBM, Coca-Cola, you know, like their brands are set, like, you know who they are. Um, but smaller companies or companies with less experience in branding tend to kind of like, let's try this, you know? And it's like, but it's not really well thought out and how it all connects with the, the core idea of a brand. So, so how did you accumulate all this like expertise in branding, did it come through storytelling or were they kind of adjacent? Like where was it the, the lessons you've learned through the businesses you've worked with kind of helped with branding and storytelling at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I would say it's more, I gained it through life experience. I mean, I read a lot of books on branding, um, yeah. and still read books on branding, but, um, to me it was like, there was something missing in, in the, um, in the explanation of branding which is why you would deal with clients and, and, um, I don't know how much of this you do like, but like you would talk about branding and then they would kind of glaze over, right? Like they're just like, uh, what, (laughs) why should I do that? You know? Um, and so I was like, I need a better way to explain this to people, why it's relevant and important, um, and valuable. And that's kind of how I ended up coming up with the, the analogy. And then once I started using that, like people's kind of like the lights started yeah. going on. And so I was like, I think this is just a simpler way to explain a really complicated idea. And I'm going to kind of go through and, um, try to break it down like chapter by chapter, because there's so many different pieces of branding and there's a lot of stuff that you can go off and do, but then there's like, I think more core things that are important to building a good foundation to a brand. And that's, we actually talk about like brand foundation in the, um, in the book. Um, towards the end. But, uh, I think there's the, I think having an understanding of what the core activities around building a brand are, um, are more important than getting up off on into the nitty gritty or the, you know, shiny objects that are a part of branding. <laughs> yeah. 
That's yeah. That's that makes total sense, and it's really cool that you're writing a second book and kind of. So how how do you decide what makes the cut on this book and what doesn't? From what it sounds like, what you just said, it's there's of all the books you've read on branding, there's a clear disconnect between like your experience and how you've done mm-hmm. it and successfully made it work mm-hmm. versus what's being taught. Is that kind of what your book is doing? Is to fill in that gap? Yeah, it's a uh, yeah because like you know, branding is such a big subject that you can go down individual rabbit holes on. I mean, you could write a book on, um, you know, brand archetypes, right? Like <laughs> you could have 15 chapters in that book and talk about 15 different archetypes and go really deep into it. And I don't like, that's not the book that I want to write, at least not right now. I just want to write like, a like, a, like I see my current book on storytelling is being like a one Oh one two Oh two class kind of mixed together. And that's probably where my, my branding stuff will go because okay. um, it's more, it's not for people who do branding. Although a lot of people who do marketing and whatnot have read my book and been like, Oh man, you reminded me of stuff that I had totally forgotten about or that I'm not applying. Um, it's more so for, the average person who's like, I'm interested in branding, but it's just hard to understand, like, how do I do it? And that's kind of the conversation. That's where the book's going to kind of be based around. But like I said, I think there's things in there that other people who are definitely like advanced level people are going to be able to take away from it as well. But I, I think the target audience is like, you know, maybe that small business owner who's like, I've heard about branding. I'm interested but I don't know where to start kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. And I, I mean, you, you've got this down, you do this for a living, having the target <laughs> audience down. Like that's for That's, that's really helpful. I, I asked because I've been working on writing a book and that's something that I'm having a tough time is it just feels a bit broad right now. So mm-hmm. narrowing it down. One of the things I'm, I'm focusing on. Yeah. Well, um, like, so the way that I wrote my book and I'll, I'll just give you the process. Um, I just basically went and created an outline based on the chapters or topics that I wanted to talk about. And then I needed to find a way to kind of like tie all this stuff together. So in my mind, being a a storyteller, I broke it down in a three act play, right? Dude, Um, that's sick. So, you know, you've got your beginning, middle and end, and that's what every story needs. And so that's how the book set up is the beginning is, um, we actually talk about a lot of the neuroscience and science around uh, storytelling. So that's um, part one. And then part two is how do I tell a good story? And then part three is how do I apply what I've just learned in emails, websites, advertisements, right? Like how do I, how do I take that and go do something with it? Which like I said, yeah. is probably why I don't get as many people con- contacting me. Like, They'll leave reviews. They'll hit me up on LinkedIn and be like, I loved your book. And I'm like, but hire me. (laughs) And they're like, no, I got it. I got it. You explained everything beautifully. Thank you. (laughs) No, your book was actually too good. Uh, We don't need it. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I think, no, I think that's awesome. Number one, I mean, the giving of value in the book. I think that's something to be said about your authorship artistry what what would be the, i don't know the, the the way that you wrote the book you set out not to you set out to give information like and mission accomplished yeah like yeah like i said i i got into being an entrepreneur because i love helping people um and so i'm like i'm going to do that however i can um and yeah so writing the book um yeah and you asked me a little bit about the process of writing the book so it took me 2 weeks to write the book and then it was in editing for like five months. <laughs> wow. How did you, I, how did you get it edited? Um, I, I know, I know people, <laughs> uh, I, I know a few people. I know a guy who, uh, um, writes, uh, screenplays. So I asked him to review it. I know another guy who does a lot of blog, um, blog post writing and stuff for a, yeah. a major company. I asked him to review it. Um, one of my, closest friends, Matt, he's writer slash actor. I asked him to review it. So part of the reason it took so long is because I had like five editors on the project. Um, and then, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got it reviewed. Like I wrote the whole thing in a Google doc and then 
Um, I just gave everybody access and said, take a look. Um, I had a, somebody who's not a neuroscientist, but they work in neuro behavior. And so I asked them to kind of review what I said about the neuroscience stuff because I was reading a lot of, um, a lot of articles on the topic. Some, some were like actual government articles and then some were articles that, um, other people had written about the neuroscience of stuff. And so I was like, am I portraying this accurately or am I making up shit? <laughs> yeah. Like I wanted to get a, get a, get a fact. No, check I on feel that. that. So that's, that's important. And I noticed, so on Josh's podcast, you were mentioning how a lot of these articles that do neuroscience don't have stories. Like they're boring as hell. Did you yeah. get stories all throughout your book? Oh yeah. Like the, it, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious to me because like, yeah, you're reading about this like fascinating thing that scientists have discovered about storytelling and how it works in the brain. And then they're like giving it to you dry as fucking burnt toast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, and I'm like, guys, you're talking about the power of storytelling, but you're not actually using the power that you've been given. <laughs> like, yeah. This is hilarious. That is pretty funny. So. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, we're going to change gears a little bit and get into your habits and your routines. So the first question I like to ask is kind of like, what do you have a specific set of morning or night routines or do you do, does it change throughout the days? Um, so work wise, no, um, health wise. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, I mentioned I do jujitsu. Um, yeah usually twice a week. And then sometimes I'll pick up a third day on like on a Saturday. And then I always work out on Sunday. Um, so my whole life schedule kind of works around, um, what I'm doing there. So I, uh, like I don't drink the day before I go to jujitsu because you get dehydrated enough doing jujitsu. You don't want to show <laughs> up dehydrated true. and yeah. then try to like have somebody squeeze the last drops of, of, uh, hydration out of you. <laughs> Um, so that kind of affects, so that schedule is very, very much set. Whereas in the day to day with business, I often find myself wearing a lot of different hats. And so there's some, some other stuff there that it kind of changes around week to week. Um, I also set aside time to make, to do music. So that's usually an hour like in the morning and I'll just focus on it for that one hour. And then I, I'm just like, okay, I'm done. I, I got to get back to yeah. work stuff. Um, so my work schedule though is like, yeah, it's like I said, it's all over the place. Unfortunately, I don't have, I mean, I used to do like sit down, plan out your day. And then I, I did that for like a couple months and then I just kind of threw it out. Cause I was like, <laughs> crap, <laughs> like it's always changing on me. Yeah. Um, and that's the challenge, right? Like when you're the head of a head of a business, like you, yeah, you may have like meetings and you know, your stuff's booked, but then you have your team, you got to talk to them. A client pops up out of nowhere that you haven't heard from for six months. They need something, you know, like, so there's a lot of randomness in, in my day-to-day business schedule, which I think is probably why I'm so rigid in my non, non non-work schedule. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's important. And I, something I noticed on myself trying to, there was a period of time where I was trying to plan my day in like as specific as 30 minute chunks on what I was doing. And I would Mm -hmm. just get so frustrated when, you know, life happens, random shit Mm -hmm. pops up here and there and it would just deter from that. And then I, I would feel more behind than if I just kind of let it go. So now I have more of a things I need to get done list, but it's in no particular order or time. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, I try to time block certain activities, but again, like you said, like sometimes that gets totally blown up. Like, I don't know, there was a couple of different things I was planning on doing today. And then I got like three random calls from clients (laughs) and then like, I wasn't doing what I was planning on doing, you know, and it's just, you got to be a little bit fluid, um, when you're running a business, whereas like, yeah, if you're working in a nine to five and you've kind of got like the same schedule and the same thing happening all the time, it's, it's much easier to plan that out and know. Totally agree. What you're going to do, but like day to day, um, being an entrepreneur, things, um, they're fluid, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 
Have you had to remove any habits or anything like that from your life? It sounds like drinking is something you've... I don't know if it was slowed down or it's just something that you don't do before jiu-jitsu, but uh, anything like that where you've just noticed, take it away. Yeah, well, yeah, drinking, yeah, definitely, like, like, you know, I, I wasn't, like, a heavy drinker, but, you know, during the week I might have, like, a cocktail or two, um, like, during the weeknight, and now, like, I don't drink except for like Friday and Sunday um, because I need to keep my body healthy for the schedule because, you know, I should have started jujitsu like 10 years ago, like starting it at 42 was like kind of crazy. Um, Cause it's a really, <laughs> it's a really demanding sport. Yeah, it really is. Um, and uh, like, so, so because of that, I had to like change a lot of stuff. I also changed my diet around. Uh, so that I was eating healthier so that my body was, you know, feeling better when I would go in. But also like when you're, you know, I'm, I'm 44 now, so I've been in it for two years. Um, you don't recover as fast as your, you know, 30 something rolling partner <laughs> or your 20 something former wrestler, you know, high school yeah. wrestler partner. Yeah. Like, so, so health and nutrition also kind of starts playing into that more. Um, and then, like I said, getting in the gym, like I don't go to the gym three days a week. I do a full body once a week. Um, it makes me plenty strong for, for what I need to do. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, a lot of things have to kind of be, um, what am I trying to say? My schedule needs to be organized so that I can continue to do that stuff without, um, missing weeks or being like, Oh yeah. crap, I'm injured. Like I can't sense. train for like a week or something. Um, so yeah. So there's a lot of that, that kind of stuff that like, like I said, because I, I love jujitsu so much. It's, it's, it's like, I gotta, my, I, I need to do this this way. Um, so it's kind of like, I guess it's, it's almost like, I love the sport so much that I started changing everything in my life around it to make sure it fit. <laughs> wow. That's how like, you know it's real. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> like, like, yeah, like I'm, I'm single, uh, currently dating and girls would be like, are you available on Tuesday? And I'm like, nah, <laughs> <laughs> busy. I'm not available on Tuesday or Thursday. Sorry. Like, <laughs> so, so now you know where, where jujitsu ranks in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty important. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Oh, man, you're doing all the cool stuff that um, I did when I was younger. I wish I could do – well, I can do. I just haven't, I guess, made the time. But scuba diving, jujitsu. I g grew up doing jujitsu. I was like 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. Did it for a few years. And honestly, I've been uh, like straight up Googling schools this past week. Like I had something mm -hmm. I'm looking to get back into. So I'm really hyped that you mentioned that. Yeah, I, I rolled with a guy who hadn't done jujitsu in ten years. I rolled with him last Saturday, and for him, it was like riding a bike. Like I yeah, was I like, "I think it'll come back." I really, yeah. I still remember the mood. Like my body knows what to do. I might not have. Well, I mean, I'm stronger than I was when I was sixteen. Definitely bigger, so I'll have that. Yeah. I just, I'll need to remember the. Uh, it's from what I remember, it's a lot more cardio intensive than I think it is, and I know oh, I'm yeah. gonna get there. Start yeah. rolling, and after twenty seconds, just be huffing and puffing. Oh, dude, when I started, um, I was like 300 pounds, uh, and I would, I couldn't go for longer than a minute, maybe two. How tall are you? 300 and, um, I'm six, seven, six, seven. Okay. So yeah. pretty big. Now I'm, yeah, I actually, I'd be down. scared rolling with you. <laughs> yeah. I got thrown around the mat. Like, like it was a rag doll. Like it was amazing. Um, it's actually one of the things that like I, I loved about it. I was, I was like, I got this. This this should be easy. And then all of a sudden, I'm like on my back, seeing stars, <laughs> getting smashed. And yeah, like, I'm like, that's, that's so true for jujitsu that it's not so much like a. If someone knows technique, it'll beat physical strength or like size any day. Mm -hmm. If you if you know what you're doing, because it's it's a lot like a. Yeah, it's not like a mental like a puzzle that you're solving with your body. I think mm -hmm. that's what I've used to describe it as before. It's where like you're. It's it's a chess game against another person, except instead of moving pieces, you're moving you. Yeah, yeah, it's like three D chess, right? Because yeah, yeah, <laughs> like the, the your opponent can move almost any direction. Um, yeah, so it's a, uh, and that's one of that's one of the things I love about it is like it is it is a challenge mentally, 
not just physically. It's definitely a challenge physically, but it's a challenge mentally to kind of go, uh, they did this. How can I counter? How can I, you know, like if, if you're in a bad position, you're like, how do I get out of this? Like there's steps to take, but like, yeah, when you're being put under pressure, all those steps don't always fall into place. And um, also they know the steps too. So they're trying to yes. defend against. Yeah. Defense. So there's a lot of, you know, counter, counter, countering, you know, um, and then you end up, you know, you, you break free, but then you end up in a scramble or a dog fight and you're like, you know, trying to get the upper hand on the guy. They're trying to get the upper hand on you. And, you know, and then at the end, as long as you're in shape, somebody's probably getting submitted and yet we're both going to stand up and shake hands at the end of it. Right. Like, yeah. Maybe grab a beer after. Yeah. Yeah. Like I hang out with, with jujitsu guys all the time. They're super chill. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to the sport, um, besides just getting in better shape or being able to defend yourself. Like, um, you start to realize that like things that you thought were hard before in life are actually a lot easier and that they're nothing compared to a guy that's trying to rip your, your arm off, you know, like, um, or, or choke, choke you unconscious. Like, you know, cause a lot of people make excuses about like, Oh, you know, I, I don't like to do that. That's too hard. And it's like, no, no, no. Getting choked out by somebody is a lot harder than you sending an email or yeah. asking for a raise. Or oh my god, it's like that. Uh, have you seen Fight Club? You remember that one scene where? Have you seen that movie? Yes, a long time ago though. Yeah, so. there's like one scene where the the main character he's like sitting at work. He used to hate his job. Now he's just like talking back to his boss. But like mm-hmm. he's got a black eye and a bruise and you can tell he's just been fighting the whole time and the commentary he's given is kind of like the, exactly what you're saying how if you're out here fighting like the things that used to seem so important to you just are very trivial mm-hmm. yeah i, I uh that's <laughs> funny i showed up on a on a date with a black eye and my uh my hand bandaged together because uh <laughs> somebody about broke broke my hand uh, it was an accident actually um the guy did something weird and like moved in a way that I wasn't expecting. And he kind of like, uh, like rolled over my fingers and it caused my fingers to get like kind of jammed down in the mat straight. Yeah. Which, uh, um, so it wasn't just dis- dislocated, but it was kind of close. And, and yeah, the girl was like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm great. <laughs> it was awesome last night. Yeah. Just know this. The reason I got the black eyes because a, a guy swung his leg over and hit me in the, in the oh, cheek God. with his knee accidentally. Um, I don't know if he's going for a triangle or what he was doing, but um, but yeah, like I, I, you know, I've I've left jujitsu like looking like a leopard. Uh, you know, I got spots all over me, all over my arms and legs from people like digging their fingers into you and stuff, and it's just like it's awesome. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. What, so what about music? What are you doing in in music? I if I remember correctly, I saw that you're like producing stuff, putting it out on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the SoundCloud thing's actually new. So I um let's back up because I think you'll find this interesting. Uh I used to be a rave DJ. Um, sick. Back in the, like the two thousands. Uh mm-hmm. I'd spun a ton of trance, um got to go uh, do some, some big events, some small events. It was a lot of fun. I did that for like two years and then I ended up, um, moving to another state and instead of keeping up with it, I just kind of was like, eh, you know, I did that. Like it's, it could be kind of a crazy life. Um, I never really got into the life. I like, I enjoyed the music, but like, you know, there's a ton of drugs and sketchy shit happening in, in the rave scene at any given time. Uh, club promoters are sketchy. Like there's just a lot of stuff. Um, yes. Yes. So I love the music and I was like, I want to learn how to make music like this. And so, you know, I started out with like, um, making just producing stuff and, um, you know, a, a track here and there and that kind of thing. And then, um, found that I really love the process of creating music. Um, and so, yeah, I've been doing it for, probably 20 years. Um, and you know, I've slowly gotten better. I actually took a long break, probably about 10, 12 years. Um, I got married and, you know, I was trying to be like responsible and, you know, and focus on stuff that was going to bring in money and not, you know, doing fun stuff like making music because 
I'm not really making music. I mean, you know, a thousand streams and you'll get two cents, you know, like on Spotify. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, I, I enjoy the process and I find that I can kind of, when I make music, I go into a flow state. So, um, I, it, it's a nice, it's nice to get away from moving pixels around the screen or dealing with clients or whatever, and just kind of like create something that hopefully you'll like. And the bonus is maybe other people will like it. And so, um, I used to have a much bigger following when I was doing it more regularly in the, in the two thousands. Um, one of my tracks actually got played at a, at a huge rave in, in Auckland. Um, and I, that no way. brought me a, yeah, brought me a bunch of fans. Um, but That's then, you so know, cool. I kind of stopped doing music and then, yeah. you know, so I got back into it, um, last year and then I kind of set a goal for myself. I was like, I want to get my music on Spotify, right? Like anybody can do it, but I was like, so I released an EP on Spotify and then, um, I started working on some new tracks this year. I was like, I want to release a couple of singles. Um, so uh, one of the tracks slipstream actually just went on Spotify last week, last weekend, um, which is kind of an ode to two thousands trance, uh, style hmm. music. It's, it's much more the, uh, kind of epic trance with the, yeah. the big sweeping, you know, feel and vocals. And, um, and then the second song that I'm doing is a drum and bass song. Uh, cause I like both, both those genres. So, um, but yeah, who knows? I like, I create, just different stuff all the time. And a lot of it never sees the light of day, but it's relaxing I mean, that's, to me. That's the life of an artist. My yeah. brother's a musician as well. And I would say he has just like hundreds and hun- upon hundreds of tracks and beats that are just sit on his computer. And I'm like, dude, why don't you release that? He's like, eh, doesn't match my brand right now. And I'm like, eh, makes sense. Yeah, no. And I, I've noticed that a, a good thing about art is, um, quant take like quantity over quality in the sense that the more you put out, the more quality just starts showing up rather Mm -hmm. than, um, just, you know, trying to perfect one song and not releasing it for a year. And then what have you done? Just one song. Uh, but one question I do have, and I might be dating myself as a youngin, but, (laughs) uh, so what was it like? How did fans contact you and like keep up with you in the two thousands? Because for me, I'm thinking social media, you know, you got followers pretty easy to tell. Uh, like how were you telling your, your streams or anything like that back in the two thousands? So there was a website called mp3.com and they were like one of the first like independent artist type thing. Like it, it was a cool setup because yeah, you would just upload MP3s. Kind of, it's it's like what SoundCloud is today, but twenty years ago. Yeah, right. Like you would sign it's up a little safely than LimeWire. I just remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> LimeWire. <laughs> what uh, LimeWire? What was it? Uh, I was oh, too was young for Napster, but I remember LimeWire. Yeah, LimeWire, Napster, and there's another one like it. It's almost like Shazam or something like that, but. Shazam is like that music finding service, but it was something like that. Um, yeah, that's actually, it's funny you bring that up because that's actually how I got trance tracks. Um, back in the day, I would, I would find them on LimeWire or something like that because a lot of the trance that I liked was coming out of Europe. But at the time, like there was no Spotify, there was no like, yeah, yeah, very true. So I, I got everything basically illegally burned (laughs) it onto a CD and then played it. Uh, so, um, so yeah, that's kind of how, uh, how I got into all that. But, um, yeah. So I don't know. I lost the thread. You were asking me something. How about do you have fans again. in the 2000? Oh yeah. So yeah. So mp3.com. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. People found me through there and, and then mp3.com went belly up in like 2001 or two or tried to rebrand or something. And it kind of all fell apart, but it was a great service. Like you could get, um, they also offered this thing where like, if you uploaded, you know, like 10 tracks, you could issue a CD. So you would upload your artwork, they would burn the CD, um, and then send it to you or send it to your fans. And, yeah. um, so I had people buying CDs from me, like all God, over the world. So cool. It was crazy. Um, yeah. And people would send you messages through, yeah, you'd they'd send you messages through your profile. And then, yeah, I ended up, um, one of my songs got played on a radio and, in a station in New Zealand and 
they actually called and wanted to interview me because apparently people in New Zealand listen to a lot of electronic music. Um, and then they were like, yeah, your, your track played it at, at this massive festival that we have every year in Auckland. And I was like, That's so cool. how many people showed up? And they were like, all of Auckland. And I'm like, how many people are in Auckland? They're like 300,000. I was like, 300,000 people showed up and heard my track. And he's like, yeah. Damn. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but at that time, you know, you didn't get royalties or anything like that. So yeah, I mean, LimeWire was, was running like there, yeah, there wasn't, right, yeah. like there wasn't were, anything like that. People were downloading yeah. my shit for free. <laughs> like, um, Still, it's so, yeah, something now, you can say you did that. Like, you, yeah, you did that. Yeah, like I, I was. Uh, it was so funny because I. Um, well, this leads in, into actually another story. So I was in Seattle for this major. Uh, event. I think there were, I mean, major for us. Usually we played to a crowd of like 500 people. This yeah. one was like 1500 to two, two grand. Um, and, uh, yeah. And these guys like called me out of the blue. So we're like going across the Puget sound on, on a ferry. And these guys call me up and they're like, is this DJ Meridian? And I was like, yeah, what's up? And they're like, well, we're so-and-so from this, you know, radio show we'd love to talk to you about your your song and i was like uh okay and so yeah i'm like going to getting ready to go to this like big brave and i'm like and the like i worked with a group of djs and they're like what are you doing and i was like uh i just got called by a radio station yeah, i think i'm being interviewed. music <laughs> at, at a, yeah uh, um and uh so that that was kind of funny and then and then that night uh so i was like the youngest dj of, of the group the least experienced so i was was the opener, right? <laughs> like, um, plus everybody loved trance in, in the two thousands. So it was, it was a popular, uh, style of music to play for an opener. And, um, so I got up there, did my set, got off the stage and we had this big, well, regionally big, uh, DJ that was supposed to come in and he was supposed to do the headline set. And one of the guys goes, yeah, so-and-so is not going to be there. Um, can you fill a set? And I was like, bro, like I only had an hour. <laughs> like you told me I had an hour. I, I, I set up for an hour and I was like, yeah, I got this. So I went up and put in, uh, another trance CD, but it was a premixed trance CD. And I stood up there for an hour pretending like I was mixing <laughs> tracks together, but really all I was doing was playing one, one CD on, on one side of the deck and then taking CDs out of the other side of the deck and turning knobs and dancing around. That's pretending like I was <laughs> DJing. Oh, and so many people came up to me after afterwards and they were like, your set blew my mind. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, I was like, thanks. I mean, that's blew my mind yeah. that I was standing up there. <laughs> You're Dancing also around showing, like an idiot. Like, I mean, song selection and you, the fact that you had the mix in the first place was pretty good to have in your pocket. That's so sick! Wow, that's that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a a premix CD. I think it's called Trans Global Nation Two. I think you can still buy it or listen to it on SoundCloud. <laughs> oh wait, this wasn't one of your mixes. Like this was just a no, no. <laughs> okay, that makes it even better. That makes it way better. Yeah. I thought this was yeah. like you had a mixtape, threw it on there. No, you took an actual no. CD. Dude, I don't think yeah. you can get away with that nowadays. Like, people would know. The internet um, always knows. You'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised. Well, the funny thing is now the software is so good that, like, you just hit a button, it beat matches for you. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, like, true. It, it was, you know... I mean, every song I played was, like, eight minutes long because you needed, like, a minute of like lead in and lead out time on a track so that you would have enough time to make sure that you match the BPM and didn't train wreck the show. <laughs> like, so now huh, I didn't like, know that's why they were so long like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was for beat matching. Um, so now, yeah, you hit a button and, and it just beat matches. It either pulls the song up or pulls it down to whatever yeah. BPM you need to be. And then, you know, you, there's some tweaking that you have to do, but like, I would say, 80% of the work's done, um, with the, with the digital, um, you know, DJ setups that they yeah. have now. So it's totally different. And I get what you mean about the, the lifestyle and all that. I've been playing with a band and we have been playing all over, uh, San Diego and different bars and different venues and stuff. We actually just opened for 
a couple other bands in sat- on Saturday. It was like my first time doing something like that. It was so much fun. But I noticed it definitely mm-hmm. is more. Um, I don't know, dude. I just can't party the way I used to. Like, <laughs> I feel very focused to my work. I feel very much like I enjoy sleeping. Um, Drinking is really fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's something I want to cut back in my life. And yet, you're out here at these shows. Like, you just finished playing. People are buying you drinks and everything. You're just like, you kind of want to let loose a little. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, yeah, most of the raves, there wasn't, there wasn't a ton of drinking, but there was a lot of drugs. Oh, I can like see that. Lot. I can see that. <laughs> um, you know, cause you're having these events in like warehouses and stuff. So it wasn't like people were like, you know, setting up bars and yeah. You know, like, yeah. That makes sense. Also. Yeah. I don't really like, um, but you- I feel like rave drugs and booze. I mean, I was never really big into raves, but I feel like there's just not a combination you see super frequently. Uh, go to a nightclub. <laughs> you get you get that at a nightclub, yeah. but like in, in go yeah, to nightclubs. Yeah, night <laughs> yeah nightclubs. Then you you start seeing you know you see a lot of the same stuff, but you'll see more like coke and um, probably people doing heroin. You know, like yeah. um, where that stuff wasn't as prevalent, at least in the scene, at least where I was. Now somebody else may be like, oh, I was I feel in like the that's scene more in like acid and, yeah. and then yeah, uh, dr- yeah, Molly, acid, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, like stuff that like when you sit in front of a bunch of lights looks amazing, <laughs> and and feel the bass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, all right, Seth. This has been such a fantastic interview. I just have three <laughs> closing questions. Sure. Yeah, ended on the drugs. Uh, I just have three <laughs> closing questions, uh, but they are all so related to who you are as a person. I'm really excited, and I want to hear. What you got to say? So the first one is, again, related to who you are as a person. What kind of music do you listen to? Um, pretty exclusively EDM music. Um, I love '80s pop music, which is probably where my love of electronic music came from because so yeah. much of it is like new sing- wave. Stuff. Yeah, a lot of the stuff coming out of the UK. Um, you know, like I like I just found it, an, an amazing drum and bass remix of Down Under. Um, incredible. Like also, I'm listening to that Men at Works down under. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nice. uh, If you give me a second, I can find the name for you Uh, because it's in my like songs. Uh, You know what band? The very first concert I ever went to, my parents took my brothers and I to a Depeche Mode concert. That was the first one. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Really, they could still. They were still ripping it. Like you know, some thirty, forty years later, like it was fantastic. Probably thirty years. I was. It was yeah. like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love their song. Enjoy the silence. Like that's my favorite song of theirs. Hands down. Um, uh, crap. Where is it? No, oh. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll get it to you. There's also a, uh, a new remix of, uh, running up that hill, uh, by hmm. coffee shop. That's pretty killer. Um, so it's like, if you, if, if you take eighties pop music and then mix it with like new, EDM music. It's like, it's like crack for me <laughs> <laughs> match made in heaven. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I grew up in the nineties, so, you know, I listened to a lot of like Weezer smashing pumpkins, things like that. So that's all familiar. Um, but, uh, yeah, primarily like eighties, eighties pop synth wave, um, and anything you could dance to. So <laughs> anything you can dance to. I love that answer. Um, what kind of movies do you, or TV shows do you like to watch? Any recommendations you have lately? Um, let's see. Well, Mandalorian season three kicked off. Pretty excited about that. Luther. Is that, is that out now? Yeah. It came out yesterday. Oh, Uh, gotta check that out. Uh, Luther, uh, season six or five, five or six. Uh, that drops like in a couple of weeks, Ted Lasso season three. Oh my gosh. Ted Lasso. Mm. That's. That's my jam right there. Like if you said, what is yeah. your favorite TV show? I'd be like Ted Lasso. Um, but yeah. And then I've been going through some old stuff like new girl, um, white collar, uh, justified. White collar is a great one. Yeah. Yeah. White collar is like this great, like popcorn TV show where it's like, it's yeah, That's there's exactly nothing ever really too serious. You know, it's just like you sit down, you get a few laughs and you know, it's, yeah. So I was actually recently watching White Collar, and I just loved how, like, you could tell it was a TV TV show. 
Like, you know, there's a mm-hmm. difference on, like, Netflix shows and then shows that were on. T- you could feel the commercial breaks. You could see, like, the cliffhangers for the next season, mm-hmm. things like that. But it was so yeah. fantastic. I love that show. Yeah. Mo- most of the stuff gets wrapped up in one episode, although they, as the show progresses, they get into longer story arcs. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, like, season one and two are almost like, oh, we got a problem. We solved the problem. Next nice. episode. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What uh? And now, what books? What books are you reading right now? Or Audible? Uh, um, I'm reading a lot of like military science fiction, um, and military fantasy. So uh, there's two series that I absolutely love that are done by the same authors. One's called uh, Galaxy's Edge, <laughs> which um, ironically is more Star Wars than Star Wars has been in the last few years. Um, which is why I like the Mandalorian. I haven't liked any of the, the other Star Wars shows that Disney. Pedro put Pascal out, like the, kills that show. Like absolutely, yeah. does a fantastic job. Well, and it's just it, it's just it has a different vibe than some of the other shows that they've come out with, like um, Andor and um, the uh, Obi Wan Kenobi show. Yeah, um, yeah. What so, are your thoughts uh, on Andor? I haven't actually clicked on that one yet, but. I haven't watched it because I've been so disappointed with some of the other stuff that Disney put out. Like they started losing me with like the book of Boba Fett and then yeah, dude, the that, that show was kind of trash was terrible. Like they broke Canon in several places to try to like make things fit. And I'm like, this just doesn't make any sense. It just was really poor storytelling. Um, so, um, yeah, so galaxy's edge is one. And then forgotten rune is another one. I love forgotten rune because it's basically about these, uh, army rangers who go into the future to try to jump ahead of this like nano plague that's happening in current time. Except when they get to the future, they find out that the future is like Lord of the Rings. Cause the nano plague is like turned everybody into like elves and orcs and <laughs> monsters and wizards and all kinds of stuff. And these guys are absolute badasses and they're like, just point us in the direction of who we need to kill and they'll get dead. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like they have six or seven. Dude, I didn't books even know that genre was a thing. That sounds fascinating. It's awesome. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. Like, and it's great too, because the first book, like they've literally jumped into the future and they're being attacked by an army of orcs and they're just going full army ranger, like <laughs> murder, <laughs> murder time on these orcs. Who yeah. If orcs never are coming at you with before. clubs, yeah. Clubs. Yeah. <laughs> and then you yeah. got a bunch of army rangers. Good luck. Yeah. They're like, set up the heavy machine gun. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. So it's, uh, it's really, uh, um, but yeah, so both, both those series are written by the same guys, but they're totally different. You know, one is science fiction, military, the other is science fiction, fantasy or military fantasy. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're both like former army guys. So, um, so a lot of the stuff that they're talking about, they know, and they actually get like army rangers to come in and help them um, make sure their tactics and what they're saying is all correct in their yeah. books and stuff. Military advisor, I guess, is what you call them. Um, so yeah, those those are my two favorite uh, series, and I just finished like the sixth, seventh book of Forgotten Rune um, this week. Like it literally came out Sunday, and I already finished it. <laughs> <laughs> you were waiting for that. That sounds sick. yeah, yeah. There is yeah. um, one. I'll have to find who it is or the book, but I believe there was a, a former SEAL who came out with um, some kind of like army fiction book. I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll look into it, but yeah, I, I think that'd be right up your alley, something you'd like. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Seth, last question is where can people find you? Um. And so storifyagency.com, S-T-O-R-I-F-Y, agency.com. Um, you can find the book on there as well. Uh, the book is How to Hack Humans. It's also on Audible and Amazon if you want something print. Um, there's, a, there's a difference between uh, the book and the audio book. The audio book is a little bit more the director's cut. Like the editors kind of took some things out that I was saying that they were like, oh, not really sure about that because i like to tell inappropriate jokes and they were like mm, maybe not and i was like well i'm doing the audiobook myself so screw you guys <laughs> that's kind <laughs> of a lot sick, of the things yeah. back in yeah um 
What's cool about the book though, is that every chapter has a song that goes with the book. And so if you get the printed version, you can actually play the music and listen to the chapter. Um, and there's a playlist in Spotify called how to hack humans. Um, and the song either captures kind of like the vibe of the chapter, or it kind of like links in with the idea of the chapter. Whereas on the audio version, you're not going to get that, but you get like, um, bloopers and outtakes, uh, in the audio book. And then there's an interview with me at the end, which is like an hour, um, where I actually talk with the guy who directed me on, uh, was the director of the audio book. Um, he kind of just interviews me kind of like this thing, um, that we're doing here. So other than that, you can find me on LinkedIn, Seth Erickson. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the easiest way for people to connect with me. If you want to check out my music, it's DJ Meridian on, um, Spotify and I have no picture, so it's easy to find me because my, <laughs> my little circle is black. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I really like the artistic adding the song onto like that encapsulates the vibe of the chapter, like what the chapter is about. I mm -hmm. think that's a really cool idea. And I like how you get something with either one kind of like the audio book, you get something extra, the, the print book, you get something extra. I think that's really cool way of going about it yeah yeah and i i actually in the audio version i restate or i state things differently sometimes i tell different jokes sometimes it's i would say the audio book's about 80 percent of what the written version is and then there's 20 percent that's about different between yeah. the two so it's kind of the pareto principle um so i've known there, there's several people who've told me that they like either got one or the other and then they went out and got the other one because they were like they really liked it and they were like, I'm curious how this is and yeah. or how it's different. And so, and obviously when, you know, when you read it, like you have your own voice in your head, when I read it to you, then you have my voice in your head. So there's, there's some differences there, um, in how the information comes across. Yeah. So that's pretty sweet. Well, Seth, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate having you. Yeah, man. Thanks. It's been, been a lot of fun.